Hello listener, welcome to Switch It. The Mount Monganui test was both a break from the norm and more of the same. England's 10th test win out of 11 under Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes was their first in New Zealand for 15 years. Proof that to catch a Kiwi, you just need to give one the keys to your entire test match philosophy. The pink ball succumbed to Baz Ball as England won for the first time in six attempts in overseas day-night test. Clearly two weeks on the golf course was pretty good preparation after all. To discuss teeing off, but not recklessly, I'm joined this week by ESPN Cricket Info UK editor Andrew Miller and fresh or otherwise from traversing the North Island, Vitushan Ehantaraja. Um, Fish, I'll come to you first. It's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Um, how is New Zealand treating you? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I um, I never thought I'd be in a situation where a former England captain was cooking me pork belly, uh, but that happened. Uh, you'll, you'll read about that soon enough on uh, on ESPNCreekInfo.com. Um, but yeah, so it's just been one of, one of new experiences and actually not that much cricket because England cut their warm-up in half in Hamilton, uh, ultimately to go and watch Brendan McCullum's horse come forth. And then they, you know, beat New Zealand with what, five sessions to spare. So it's been a, it's been an interesting one. Um, but I think, I think everyone has high hopes for Wellington in terms of getting to five days, not least because I think it's going to rain a fair bit during the oh, start no, no. of the test. So there's that to look forward to. Um, but no, it's been, it's been grand. Yeah. It's how's your, how's your handicap? You know what? I was, uh, I was. T- you look so confused. McCullum, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that you, you're not a golfer. I'm not. I, I, I'm definitely not a golfer. <laughs> but um, McCollum, uh, when we uh, had our chat with him in Hamilton, when he was basically meeting the, I say meeting local press, he was, you know, going back and saying hi to old friends, basically. Um, he asked us what we were up to, and he mentioned that they were playing golf. And I said, Does, "Do any of you play golf?" Mm. I was like, I'm sure maybe one or two of them, one or two of them do, but I was, I almost thought I should have said yes and see where, see what would have happened there. Because <laughs> I think it's, you know, of all the things you need to be in this England team, you don't necessarily have to score fast. Ben Fox doesn't score fast, but you, you definitely need to play goal. <laughs> you want to get into the inner circle, you need to play goal. Yeah. I mean, Jack, Jack Leach, Jack Leach has made use of himself as a caddy. I think you wrote. Yeah, and he only plays when he gets given clubs, and I think he's he was taking lessons at the start of this year as well. Um, <laughs> but the only the yeah, Ollie, I think Ollie Stone and Jack Leach are the only two players who who don't play golf in this in this group. Yeah, um, and and just quickly, uh, you might be saving this for the diary, but are you allowed to talk about uh, Mike Afton's uh, playlist for for driving across country? Uh, yeah, so he, uh, Michael Afton, very <laughs> kindly uh, gave myself and Rory Dolan a lift from Mount Mulvaney to um, to Wellington, where I am now. Um, you know, he's a he's a home comforts man, isn't he? So it was just a lot of uh, Manchester music emanating from Manchester, and luckily, you know, it's a very rich well, a very deep well, rather. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, you know, it lasts about three or four hours. So yeah, fair play. But I think he listened. Same playlist over and over again on Spotify, so there is that. Yeah, there are, there are worse places, I suppose, that you could uh, focus your musical um, preferences. Uh, we're all big fans of Athens here, of course. Miller, um, we've not had the postcard views while covering this test match show or this test series, uh, but you did get to indulge your ornithological side, uh, thanks to the early finish. 
I did. Yeah, I saw a kingfisher down on <laughs> down on the river. Lee. It was very very nice. You know, getting getting out nice and early, and there it was. It was actually, two of them, which is a real bonus. So yeah, that was that was all very pleasant. Uh, the, the the dog wasn't so chuffed by the kingfisher, but um, he can he can look after himself at moments like that. I uh, know it's all it's all been very pleasant. So I'm uh, I, I was as usual uh, eternally grateful to to the basketball ethos for for giving us an extra day of sleep. <laughs> um, I'm a bit more disturbed by this. Not notion of rain. I'm not sure rain rain through the night uh, in New Zealand. I remember that takes me back to the New Zealand Australia tour in 2002, which was one of the first they ever covered professionally, and that just rained and rained and rained. I can still actually hear the the music. The sky played on a loop during the in endless rain delays while I was waiting for them to give us an update. It was, uh, yeah, one of the more brutal night shifts I've ever done. But um, yeah, hopefully this one will be this will be more fun. I uh, actually did overnight. Uh the last time England played at Basin Reserve, which was 10 years ago, I think, and it an entire day was rained off, um, which involved Joy. a lot of listening to uh, random music overnight in the ESPN offices um, and then trying to get uh, a night bus home at about 4am, I think. So, yes, we've got all that times. to look forward to. Um, Miller, of course, you'd be uh, trying to introduce Athos to the joys of Iron Maiden uh, if you were, of, of uh, course, pitching across uh, New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, he's he's old enough to have heard them in their prime, so I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he'd appreciate them. <laughs> yeah, well, perhaps Bish can pass on that uh, recommendation. Um, now then, the Bay of Plenty was plentiful for talking points, not least whether the Nighthawk might need to go back to superhero school. The test followed the script as far as recent England performances have gone, although the uh, floodlit passages added an even greater layer of jeopardy. Uh, in the end, New Zealand were well off the pace, beaten by 267 runs, a record margin against England, uh, for their fourth basballing in as many tests. Um, Bish, did you see this coming? Uh, you'd, you'd hinted, I think, in uh, some of your build-up that um, uh, New Zealand weren't in the best of Nick for this uh, encounter. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because you know, England as, as the tourists had the, well, I suppose had, had the more comfortable build-up because they all travelled together, and New Zealand had an issue where five of their players. I, I'm really annoyed because I use the phrase "the marooned five after the after the test, and I thought, wow, I've just Miller would have come up with that as soon as he counted how many people were actually in different parts of New Zealand and were delayed getting to. You know, getting to Mount Morgadu, but that's you know, I'll, I'll let that slide for now. It's yeah, bit, so a bit insensitive in a you know a domestic emergency, but uh, but a very good pun nevertheless. Yes, yeah, yeah that's no, you know, <laughs> now. Not only do I feel bad about you know working out the joke late, I also feel bad for articulating it on this on this show. So you know, that's a, that is a good point to be fair. But there was um, but it was it was quite interesting because I think it um. I, I don't know, it felt it provided a snapshot of the fact that New Zealand in the, you know, in a, I, don't, I don't mean this necessarily in a um, in a strict way, but it does feel more and more that New Zealand have less control over their own players. And I know obviously that was because of, you know, the Storms and, and Cyclone Gabrielle, but even the build-up to the test, the fact that we spent so much time talking about Trent Bowl, for example, yeah. when really, you know, when he, when he bought it down, it is kind of an open and shut case you know they they wanted to he turned down the contract he wanted they want to i suppose not necessarily move on from him but at least show some development elsewhere um and yet the fact that he was 20 minutes up the road having returned from the ilt 20 
was also a bit like, are you genuinely expected to, expected to see him in the crowd? And also, Bob Mogadou, he's a small player, so I thought, you know, you might have bumped into him in one of those electric scooters going down, uh, going down from the mound. But, but yeah, there, there was a real, there was a real sense in there that England, England had done everything they wanted to do in the lead up to that, to the extent that the rain that essentially washed out, what well, would forced them to to train under, uh, under that marquee, was it was actually a bit of a bonus because they left that they left Hamilton thinking actually everyone's in good order, we've got no injuries. Everyone has come to what they need to do. Everyone's having fun. Whereas New Zealand, it felt a bit bitty. And I think that's how things played out in the in the game. Firstly, England basically had New Zealand on the leash for pretty much all of it. And bear in mind, New Zealand won the toss as well. And you think, you know, I think they, you know, Darren Stead said at the end of the game that he was, he knew how good England were, but he was still surprised at how they played, which I actually kind of get, you know, it sounds like a silly thing to say, but, but it, it does make sense. They played very differently to how they played last summer because last summer they were just working out and now they're just a lot more confident in how they're going about things. And to do on a daylight test as well, the big ball, uh, um, yeah, credit to England for that. I mean, well, uh, New Zealand, I suppose, were perhaps uh, going by memory. England loved, loved the chase, as, as Ben Stokes said uh, last summer. So put put them in, see what they do. And uh, so in this case, they scored 325 for nine in 58.2 overs, I think it was. Um, Miller, uh, Ben Stokes made the second earliest uh, declaration in terms of, you know, overs uh, in the first innings of a test match. Um, and it, again, that, that scoring rate that we talk about a lot um, got them ahead of the game. Uh, it brought them time under lights, um, as it were, and that pretty much set the course. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't, we're kind of taking it for granted that England score quickly now, but I was actually crunching the numbers... Um, Yesterday, that first innings, uh, first things completed first innings, albeit they they declared the second earliest declaration in Test history. I believe that that innings was the third quickest first innings ever scored in Test history. I mean, obviously the quickest was Rob Indy before Christmas. The second quickest, funnily enough, was Brendan McCullum when he when he went went loco in his final Test against against Australia. Um, you know the. Yeah. In, sandwiching in between in between those uh, was Brendan McCullum. So England's you know. It, you kind of take it for granted that England are going to go and do that, but to do it consistently after you know after losing the toss, being inserted on a uh, pitch that had been under under wraps for so long, not entirely sure how it's going to play. And remember the the first few overs, Tim Southey was causing a lot of bother, uh, particularly for Zach Crawley. Um, you know they were there with the ball was zipping around, and then England thought, well, what the hell? Let's just lump it, uh, which is what they do. But you know, at the end of it all. You know, you think you think it sounds like sounds like witless slogging, but at the end of it all, the thing, the word I, that stood out for me was uh, Southie at the post-match presentation saying that England strategically played a blinder. I mean, he used the word strategically. It wasn't it wasn't just blind slogging. The point is, England recognised from the outset our best way of winning this game is to get New Zealand batting under lights as much as possible. So on that first day, they went hell for leather, and then you know end up with what eighteen overs to rip through the top order and on that second innings they went hell for leather in fact went so hell for leather they actually put on the handbrake and still managed to bat at five and over which is which, you know again that is preposterous the idea that you know ben stokes and ben folks as it was came out and almost sort of chilled out a little bit or all things relative of course and then they still end up in a situation where you know they didn't have to declare because they got bowled out but they'd done what they needed to to set up the game to let Stuart Broad run loose under the lights. So in the strategy that England have brought to bear 
in spite of all the nonsense so you can you can look at the the, the sheer numbers of the speed of the scoring uh is a thing that really for me stands out in all of this they they are they are a really bright thinking team in spite of the 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 the, the headline acts of of wild reckless scoring and joe Root reverse sweeping and all the other craziness that's uh and the nighthawk haven't got to him yet um but you know factor all of that in leave all of that to one side um and they really outthought new zealand which is an extraordinary thing to to come out as a sort of top line of it all uh, it begs the question i suppose if um i mean new zealand were obviously 83 for five i think on the uh on that second second afternoon not morning um i mean if, if england had ro- rolled them over for say 150 um how quickly would they have declared on the second evening? Um, you know, uh, what, what? Where is the tipping point for um, you know the tactical advantage of putting New Zealand get in again under the floodlights uh, for a second night running versus uh, wasting your almost all of your second innings um, and only setting a t- say a nominal target of two hundred fifty or something? I, I think you mentioned the talk of forfeiting an in innings um, again in the build up, but uh, I mean. Uh, England clearly had that plan that New Zealand had to go in against the pink ball under the lights um, and presumably would have avoided it if they could you know although although their batting showed the show again showcased the difference between the teams because they scored um uh, 79 for two or something in their sort of 15 overs on the second even. yeah well I mean you, you joke but when we rocked up on on the second day uh we were thinking, they could look a day, and then I wanted. Actually, they, they could. If they could, they would. That's yeah. the thing you've got to realise with this England team. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose I'm just, I'm just going to echo what what Miller said, really. But the way they played everything out, you know, really, actually, the second innings was more impressive because you know Ben Folks coming in almost almost taking the ball to the corner to run <laughs> down the clock. You know, Broad said at the end of the day, at the end of the, you know that press conference when he you know obviously runs through. Bowls four people, runs through the top three. Um, he said it was weird because I've, I, he was like, I've not been addressing him more if he's spoken like this generally, but specifically he he pointed to the fact that they were talking about time and that like, we need to get to this point in that because the runs will sort themselves out. You know, I suppose, you know, when, when this whole approach started in the first place, it was a bit like, well, you know, if England, certainly before, before the Pakistan series, there was a sense of, you don't want to just bat for four sessions or five sessions and not be proactive because you think, you know, you're just going to end up, you know, you might end up putting, you know, 200 all out, but actually you might be 320 all out. That's much better. Um, and this time they, you know, they went down the gears, which was very surprising. And, and also just an example of the need to have that kind of dexterity in your lineup. And I suppose it kind of, Root was probably his most comfortable when they were batting time. Um, Harry Brook doesn't matter to Harry Brook, does it? You know, what colour ball, what what tactics, he'll, he'll be fine. Ben Folks came into his own. Stones had a bit of an on innings, but, you know, probably kind of records or whatever. But there was a <laughs> understanding all the way through. Even Robinson, you know, Robinson gets to the second break, comes out, starts sweeping and reverse sweeping, and then goes inside and, you know, gets his one wicket at the end. But from top to bottom, it's that... All that simple messaging doesn't necessarily have to have a simple outcome or rather a simple mode to get a result. And I think that third day really showed the 
the now an understanding of of how to you know many different ways to to win a text match, and it's clear that you know they are fully across them. Yeah, they um they talked. Uh, I think it was touched on at Harry Brooks' presentation that kind of he was the player of the match. He um, scored eighty nine and fifty four, something like that. Um, but they they you know arguably. Certainly, the batters left individual milestones out there. I mean, Ben Duckett was well on course to become, I think, the first Englishman ever to score 104 lunch on the first day of a test. Although it wasn't lunch, obviously, because it was a day-night test. But um, and, and 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 but obviously played a shot too many. Got out for 84, I think. Um, Brooke got out with a, a hundred looming. Um, Root uh, got out with a reverse sweep on the on the brink of uh, the dinner break on on the third day. Um, but Miller, it's uh, it's about that team ethos. It's about doing what's required. It's about batting. In this case, a bit of time, perhaps, rather than um, looking at the scoreboard. Uh, and I mean, it, it, it all came together, uh, you know, rather beautifully again. Yeah, it did. I mean, you know, Root is obviously an interesting case. Uh, a vicious piece uh, the other yeah. day was 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 doubling down on 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 the slight uncertainty that, that that is projected in his in his returns. But but you know, I'm 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 on board with the way he's batting. To be perfectly honest, I I'm comfortable that that it makes sense in the in the bigger picture. And you know, again, you know, looking looking at the way Ben Stokes has batted, he's probably more prominently manic in the way that he's gone about things particularly that very first innings there's 50 that's a bit, bit of a lucky 50 at Lords in that in that first test uh, against New Zealand last summer um you know both of them have have gone out of their comfort zones in 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 so speaking you know they they have done so in order to encourage everyone else out of their comfort zones it's like if if you were in a position where you got the best two players are saying right we're gonna we're just gonna anchor things lads you know you go out and buzz ball away and you know do do your own thing and uh you know play play your shots we won't judge you you know you may cock up we won't judge you but then they they come in and sort of friendless endlessly mopping up after you know crawley and ducky have cocked up again uh i mean that that's not gonna encourage the collective buy-in that is required to be brave like england have been and so you know it's a great you know it's a great testament to the lack of ego of those two players that they have been willing to say, you know what, we are going to compromise our own levels. We are going to compromise our, our ability to make monster scores here in order to show you lads that it's all right to make a mistake. It's all right to to choose the wrong option so long as you are doing it with with a clear mind. And you know that I, I believe this can evolve and will evolve. You know, come come the ashes. You know, we've seen already uh, down the. England do have an ability to go down the gears when when required. I mean, uh, Stokes when he scored that hundred with Folks in in the uh, South Africa series, he went down the gears because England were in a winning position. It's like there's no point in going nuts here. Let's just let's just grind it out. Um, Folks and and the way they went down the gears in in Manmunganui again. It's like okay, let's let's just chill here. We don't need to play a shot of ball. We can we can uh, let it coast for a bit. There is the ability within this team to recognise that, but I don't think. That ability would be there unless they were willing to go hell for leather as a unit and say, you know what, let's just let's just give this a give this a good old go, and uh, we can regroup afterwards. It, I, I'm I'm actually in awe of the of the the willingness to just buy into that 
and and recognise that as you know this is the way to go because you know I mean frankly they have nowhere else to go. Ben uh, Ben Stokes, what well, Joe Root actually, obviously coming out of the this twenty 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 one. Yeah, the year of all years from Joe Root. He played absolute blinder, did absolutely everything right. So pretty much every bloody time he came to the crease, that England kept losing. It's like, well, we tried this. We've tried having one guy being brilliant and the rest not. Let's try everyone just being trusted to be better than they were before and uh, and take it from there. It's, it, it is working. And it doesn't mean that, you know, come the big occasion when, when England are up against it in a, in a decisive Ashes test, it means that Joe Root is going to be obliged to play a reverse sweep and get out uh, <laughs> on the stroke of lunch. But you know, just as long as long as he's got the option and and is willing to back it when he feels like it's the right thing, um, I think it will ultimately prove his in the results. Ten wins out of eleven. I mean, the, the collective is doing the right thing. I think Root said that the uh, the attempted reverse ramp scoop off Neil Wagner in the first innings. Was it was a safe shot, uh, largely. Um, you know, obviously he um, ended up getting caught at slip. Uh, Bish, uh, just to play devil's advocate, would it not be better for England though if Joe Root happily uh, knocked uh, out hundreds at you know a strike rate of seventy five while everyone else did their bad bowling bit? Yeah, I mean without a doubt. Um, but you know, I agree with Miller. I don't. I'm not worried about that shot. I don't, I, don't, I don't see that as a problem. The, it's the first time he's he's gone out to it, and he he actually plays it really damn well. So I had no problem with that at all. Joe also gets out driving. Joe nicks off sometimes. It, you know, that's it happens. You know, if you play a shot enough, you're going to get out to it eventually. Um, what I am concerned about was how he was talking to us, and it was good because he, he was really honest. You know, to to say that that form at the beginning of the McCollum Stokes era was purely because. He felt liberated from the captaincy. Is I suppose you know from a journalist point of view, it's really eye-opening. It's probably not something we, you know, we we did assume that was the case. But for him to uh, to articulate that and yeah. and then to see the drop off to almost like okay, I got rid of that, got that out of my system, and then I was like, right, okay, you know, how do I play here? The thing he said about he he always goes by the rhythm of the other person. It's interesting because he's always been a proactive batter. And, you know, often when he's with another proactive batter, you know, sometimes, you know, hit him and Stokes are trading, you know, strike rates of 75, and there's a bit of back and forth there, and you can tell they're having a lot of fun with it. You know, sometimes, you know, when he batted Bairstow, but, um, you know, last summer, for example, uh, when they win against India at uh, Edgebaston, we tell them a bit of back and forth there, and that Bairstow, because it's Bairstow, he was just, as Board said, rooms in ODI mode. The issue right. seems to be... When I don't know when he's opposite someone like Harry Brook, and he's like, actually, God, this guy's making it really easy, look really easy. So maybe I I need to like impose it a bit more. And even the fact that he's articulating that is a bit of a worrying sign because he's overcomplicating it in, in my mind anyway. Um, and he'd probably work it out for himself. Good players do that, and he's a very very good player. But it was, I thought he was too honest and efficient. <laughs> <laughs> if there is such a thing, like, and I realise that's, we, that's we don't, we, yeah, we don't want to uh, criticise him for that. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it's almost like because they're so open and and so expressive in the dressing room that he comes out and you know I, I had to look back to his through his twenty twenty one and you know start twenty twenty two and it's it's absurd and there was absolutely no need to change. He was not doing anything wrong. <laughs> um, 
and I suppose I suppose that that will just come with the next big score then, because evidently that's what it is. Because he's already part that twenty twenty one form is in one box that started the twenty twenty two summer is another box, and in his mind, he hasn't scored a hundred. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. He he wasn't relying on the fact that oh actually you know it didn't start really well. That's gone. So you know. Wellington, that's a basic reserve. Great place to bat. You know, Brendan <laughs> O'Connor got a triple hundred there. Um, that might be it. That might be what England need, actually. What Rooney's get a decent hundred and start again. This is a new chapter, certainly in his mind, to his England career. Um, but yeah, stupid to say as a journalist, but yeah, I thought he was too honest. He was too, <laughs> too forthcoming. I didn't like it, it. I felt uncomfortable. If you're listening, <laughs> Joe, uh, you're pretty damn good. Uh, stick stick yeah. at it. <laughs> but the, the thing is, uh, it, it kind of um, the the danger, I suppose, with all of this is the, the the assumption that you know by encouraging Root to be more expansive and and keep up with these kids, he's getting out of his comfort zone. But I I just don't I don't necessarily buy that. It you know it reminds me a little bit, or, or actually the, the 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 opposite reminds me of what happened to Alistair Cook when he got recalled in the one day side. If you recall. When he came back as England's captain after the 2011 uh, World Cup, he got recalled. He hadn't even been in the in the in the White Ball squad when he got recalled as captain, which just just goes to show how how anti-diluvian England's approach to White Ball cricket was. But there was that brief period where he was smoking it. He was scoring ridiculously quickly all over the place by just using his exceptionally good eye, which he always had clearly as a test 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 great batter, and just scything everything you know his, his one shot was was basically a, a side that would start a sort of start at a pull and end up as a cut shot and somewhere at the intersection point would be where the ball disappears it was he was just boshing it and in so doing he was dragging himself out of his test match comfort zone so he went through that period in, in test cricket where he was on he was on a massive trough because i genuinely believe that his white ball skills and his 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 determination to to prove that he was a white ball batter had screwed with his mind in in Test cricket. I don't believe that's the case with Joe Root. If you look at the way that Joe Root has played in white ball cricket, he he is almost unique in the the great side that has risen up under Owen Morgan. But he is able to just tick along and nudge the nudge the nudge the ones and twos, play the flicks as as KK was talking about uh, uh, India's yeah. triumphs in over over Australia. You know, play play the percentages in a way that no one else in that side has ever been able to do and still tick along at ridiculous speed. I mean, look, look at that T20 score he got in, um, in, in Mumbai in the, in the 2016 campaign in South Africa, which is, you know, hardly played a shot and a few ramps maybe, but mostly it was just his unbelievably good ability to find a gap. He hasn't lost that. He's still trying to find gaps. That reverse sweep was still him trying to find a gap. He just thought it was the right gap. So I don't think that there's any real concern about the calibration of root in all of this, um, I don't think he's actually gone out of his comfort zone in terms of the shots that he can play. He's just tried to major on some that perhaps he hadn't used before uh, to quite the same extent in Test cricket. Um, I mean, you know, he's he's a smart bloke. He will probably he will learn from that. He will probably he will learn that next time Neil Wagner wangs it in a little bit wider and he's lined up for a ramp. He's like, okay, I'll let that go because that's suddenly out outside my comfort zone, which is basically why that shot went wrong. Uh, Wagner uh, did for him. He, he saw him coming and 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 pushed out wider. Um, you know the, these things happen. But uh, you know talk talk about people learning on the hoof. 
again, um, Harry Brook, opposite end of the spectrum. But you look back to what happened in Multan, uh, when Abraham did him in the first innings in Multan, when he when he played from the crease, decided I'm not going to treat him like an leg spinner because he's a mystery spinner. No, no, let's let's do let's do this do things differently, and and lobbed it to cover. I thought, well, I'm not doing that again. And next next innings, he's planting the front dog and lofting him over mid wicket. It's like you know that's that, that, that that's how I'm going to do this. That's how I'm going to take these boys down. I don't think Root is going to lose any of that mental agility in the process of this this um, slight slump that he's in. It's just in the midst of everything else that's going on around him, England are winning by challenging themselves to go harder and faster and 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 subvert the conventions of Test cricket. And if he's got caught up in that a little bit, it hasn't mattered because the collective has worked. So you know, give it, give it, give it, give it a tougher situation. And you know, again, I think it's instructive that uh, probably the one series so far that England have not basballed the hell out of it. Uh, to put it put it mildly, is South Africa because South Africa probably had the best best attack that came up against them. So England weren't able to just go hell for leather. They had to play it slightly differently. And obviously, uh, you know, they lost one test against them, then bounced back as I mentioned with that with that partnership that Stokes and folks won the next in and thought, you know what, let's just see off the threat here. So I think England still have that ability to just recognise there are moments when you know if Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood can go get on a roll. In the ashes, I don't think England will necessarily have to respond with with uber aggression. They they are a smarter lineup than 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 um, perhaps we are sometimes seeing in 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 the surface level of their results. The other thing uh, to bear in mind about Root, of course, is that he's now about to undergo his evolution as a as a T Twenty great as well. I mean, he's got the IPL coming up, so we'll, we'll see <laughs> we'll see what sort of frame of mind he comes back in for the ashes. Um, Batting is the shot window for Basball, but uh, arguably the real goods are being kept out the back where the bowlers do their work. Um, Bish, it's now 21 consecutive bowling innings that England have taken all 10 wickets. Yeah, it's remarkable, really. And and I suppose, you know, that was, with all due respect to, to Addison and Broad, I suppose I'm talking a bit more about Broad here, but he needed the pit wall under lights to, to be the broad of old. It was, you know, it was smart on all fronts because, you know, that second inning, Jimmy Addison only bowled three overs at the very start. And Wall came on and, and you know, Robinson was at the other end and, and you kind of, yeah, they, they pits the middle, you know, 28 for five or whatever it was at one point. Um, yeah. There's a, I, I suppose, we'll, you know, I'll, I'm just going to use this to segue or to Stuart Broad because I think it's, <laughs> Please do. We're, we're on a kind of well, well, because we're at an interesting time with this because it sounds like at the moment um, England are likely to go in unchanged. At, at the time of recording, which is what Tuesday, oh. um, England are going unchanged for this uh, for this test on Friday. Apart from the fact that I think some of the bowlers, the three bowlers today, Anderson, Robinson, abroad, mentioned that they're they're a bit stiff. Never mind, they're not playing the test until. Uh, Ireland in, in June, so there's been, you know, there's time to get over stuff. And also, certainly for Anderson abroad, every cap matters, every cap has another opportunity to give a wicket and, you know, leave McGrath all in the distance. Um, but there is a there is an understanding that, like, especially on this trip, that in Matthew Potts, if someone who I think needs games, like, really does need games, I think we, we saw how good he is at the start of the summer. I think him and Robinson in tandem could be really quite relentless and 
you know, exceptional in, in a different way to, to Anderson Abroad. And you've got someone like Ollie Stone, who is third choice in terms of you're picking one quickly in every bowling attack. And it feels like things are moving beyond Anderson Abroad, you know, more the, more the latter than the former, around them with people like Mark Wood being arrested for this trip, Joffre Archer on his, on his way back. And there is, I, I think there's, they played this first test really smartly uh, in terms of Stokes and McCullum because they've prolonged the sense of, I suppose, the the legacy, the legend, I suppose, of, of Broad and Anderson by playing that game the way that they played it, but essentially playing as much of their strengths as they could. And well, I suppose they can't, I, I didn't, they didn't necessarily do anything exceptional in the field, I thought. You know, that was quite, that was a hallmark of Pakistan, you know, they're being very funky. Probably the only thing that was slightly funky was, I don't know how, but Devin Conway patting Stokes uh, to, you know, Stokes bowling that bumper barrage, probably about 10 miles an hour slower than he normally does. And Conway just getting drawn into playing a bit basketball But I think other other than that, like, really, New Zealand were quite disappointing. That top order <laughs> was quite leak. And they, they've, they've assisted this in some way. So it'll be interesting to see what how they emerge from here, but... I feel like they contribute to their downfall as much as much as England bowlers uh, tipped them over the edge, and you know it's a real it's a, it's a strong struggling top order, and you know the fact that it's the same players who score the runs that did so against England in 2022 and uh, 21 in in Conway's case is a bit of a problem. You know, someone like Will Young, who was talked of, you know, as being a potential remedy at the top of the order, or certainly. In the middle of all the race, played most of his first class cricket. You know, it felt like he got an audition at Hamilton and he didn't pass it. So, you know, whatever, whatever England, whatever the focus is towards stopping England's batting, I feel like England have an attack that they can get after with one other good batter. But yeah, it's um, it is a pretty underwhelming New Zealand bang lineup. But I think that should be said. Yeah, you would expect um, more from Kane Williamson, I guess, uh, in in Wellington. Uh, I mean, six, six and naught at the Mount, um, having obviously given up the captaincy back on, uh, I think, first test on home soil without the captaincy in uh, a good long while. Um, and as Fish says, yes, 83 for five and 28 for five in the second innings. Uh, hints at the top order problems. Um, Miller, I still, I guess, we should give Broaden and Anderson a, a bit of love because they... Um, Overtook Warner McGrath, uh, passed a thousand wickets together in tests. Um, obviously, g- going back 15 years to winning the last one in New Zealand, that's where the journey began uh, for, for Broderson or or Andorod, whichever portmanteau you prefer. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, perhaps Ben Stokes was um, allowing them to play to their strengths and play to the crowd. Um, but there was some vintage stuff there, not least. A, a, a one of those broad spells, which didn't quite end up being the eighth time he'd taken a Pfizer, uh, a, a, you know, in in the same um, outing. No, it didn't quite, but it was it was it was, it was up there. It was up <laughs> there among among the great great broad rampages. Not least for the for the fact that he hit the stumps four times, four times bowled through the gate. Um, first time anyone has bowled the top three, any England team has bowled the top three since Fred Treeman ran through West Indies in 1960. Um, I mean, it's it's just one of those one of those things with Broad, isn't it? Just just just. I mean, it's such a cliche that he start pumping, but that's exactly what it is. He's like he's like a like a 
springy baby lamb just boinging in with 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 wolf's teeth and it's uh it's yeah it's quite a remarkable sight to 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 see just just to just to feel the energy that comes into a broad spell i mean i was reading a fascinating um uh piece tim wigmore writing in writing in the in telegraph yesterday making making the point that uh the, the psychometric profile had been done on the England squad under Andy Flower, and they uh, decided that Broad was the one, the one player of the squad who could could in another life have been an assassin. I mean, I can completely see that a cold-blooded killer when 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 the, when the mood takes him, and um, and you know, likewise, his ability just to come out previously previously on that day, the Nighthawk, in in preposterous manner. You know, <laughs> he got blown from the crease. On that on that morning, but the night before, the panic that that he that he instilled just by being in the crease. There was that horrific horrific second ball hoik spiraled up into the night sky. Uh, you got Kugelein and 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 Blundell looking at each other, thinking uh, someone catch it. Neither caught it. I don't believe anyone else but Broad would have instilled that sort of chaos at that particular moment. And it's just the sort of chaos that he instilled once he got that first wicket. Because his first couple of balls, you know, he, he was straying into the pads. He got clipped away from him quite sweetly by Tom Latham. He was he was overstraining for that killer ball. But this is what he can do under Basball, under under Stokes's ethos to go and get ten wickets. It doesn't matter if you overpitch, which is kind of where you know the the one great criticism of Broad Lands down the years is that in the first sign of trouble, they were smart enough to drag their lengths back and ball pretty lengths would beat the outside edge, but not actually threaten it. And you know they end up with really nice figures and they look great. And, England wouldn't get anywhere, but, you know, they they, they returned their, I don't know, 12 overs, 2 for 24, when everyone else gets talked, and um, it would be fine. But this, no, this 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 ethos is like, pitch it up, pitch it up, pitch it up, and suddenly, uh, second or third over, he got the line right to go with the angle in from around the wicket, and he was there thereafter unplayable. Um, I mean, you know, is it... How sustainable is it? I mean, we've been we've been wondering how sustainable it is since 2012 when they when they first got binned off in, in, against West Indies to try and manage the succession, which is absolutely laughable given that Anderson was 30 and Broad was 26. But even then, England were trying to think how on earth are we going to going to cope without these two? Let's 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 have a look around, scout for options, and we're still scouting for options. It's it, it, it's it's tremendous. So, final word, obviously, I was I was out there on that 2008 tour when they, when their partnership began, and um, it was the two two things strike me. Um, firstly, the, the the way in which Broad has, on the one hand, evolved as a bowler, because on that trip he was very much the bang it in bowler. He was like the, the tall young rookie who could just fall into the armpit and and cause hassle just by just by driving people back. He had Anderson at the other end and side bottom, bringing people forward with her outswing. It was it was very one dimensional. In fact, you know, push them back, drag them forward, nick them off, easy peasy. Um, They've evolved so much since then. But I remember Anderson, he took his he took his five wicket haul uh, at at Wellington after that his quick trip up the road to to Auckland to play in a, in a state game, which had uh, upset the upset the local authorities. But um, but it obviously got him got him into the rhythm. And I remember he did the post match press conference. And bear in mind he was this meek. Well, he was only twenty six, I think. But he was he was he was quite a quite a mild mild mannered chap. He didn't really like speaking to the media. I remember him sort of muttering quietly into the into the into the um, dictaphone, uh, usual usual platitudes. It sounded like yeah, yeah well, you know, nice to, to contribute, all the rest of it. Then you go back and play it back and put it down on put it down on the words down on the page. He says, "I want to be 
the captain of this attack. I want to be the man that the, my, my skipper can throw the ball to. I want to be leading this attack for years to come. And you suddenly thought, holy, holy crap, this is, this is, this is actually a, a statement of intent from, from this chap who previously had, had, you know, been, been the spare wheel in England's Fab Four attack of the 2005 Ashes, all the rest of it. And, you know, all of a sudden you got the sense that, you know, he, he was a, he was a guy who was just coming into himself and was ready to, to not just, not just fill the boots of, of Harmson and Hoggard, but, but take over from them in, 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 in a, in a, in a, more holistic sense and he's been taking over ever since it, it is it is extraordinary to think that it's 15 years and still they're going strong and where does it end i mean you know in theory this summer makes sense certainly for anderson um bow out to the age of what 41 at the end of the ashes uh but i mean they're, they're both having more fun than they've ever had before in a team that is winning more than it's ever has before and they're both producing performances that justify their attention forevermore so i mean is it mad to think they'll both go out to australia probably is it mad to think that one of them will definitely be out in australia i don't think it's mad at all it's uh basketball is basketball is many things but it is exploding our perceptions of what is possible this is the 2025-26 tour of australia just to just to place everyone in where they need where their feet are uh or where their feet aren't where they where they may be in three winters time if they're, if they're still going um by which point anderson would surely be closing in on 800 wickets and uh time or a Lithran's record but we'll perhaps leave that um for another time uh but we'll get plenty more opportunities to discuss them both i'm sure um particularly if they're included in uh, uh base and reserve um Avish, you, you you've had a um, uh, some some news certainly on the New Zealand side that um, I mean Matt Henry you'd think will be back. Um, that w- we should mention that they've been without Carl Jameson because uh, he has suffered a recurrence uh, of the back problem. Well, it's, it's confirmed this time anyway as a back stress fracture, uh, uh, which is obviously a big blow. Um, they had two debutants in, in Mount Monganui in Blair Tickner and um, Scott Kugeline. Tom Blundell was the highlight. Um, uh, but there weren't many uh, of them, um, and it's now what six series because they can't win this series. It's it's six series without a win since they became the the inaugural World Test champions um, in in twenty twenty one. So I mean, I suppose you're as hoping for a bit of rain to draw, to drag out, or perhaps perhaps with some bite from New Zealand. Yeah, it, I mean, it feels like because there's there's kind of nothing to lose now because you know what does it matter if you lose if you lose. 2 nil or 1 in this, you'd, you'd hope they would, sorry, you'd hope they'd want to kind of push on and actually play a bit more positively. It felt like, I mean, to be fair, there wasn't enough of the game to really break out of their shells, but because they were chasing the game for so long, they, it didn't really feel like you got a good gauge of them. And it was interesting because there was a, there's a lot of local interest in this series. You know, the crowds of Mount Wanganui were, were great, even before, you know, three and a bit of days. Uh, the first three days of the Basin Reserve is a sellout. Now, quite how that will translate on TV because the weather forecasts were made to be seen, but, you know, that it is a sellout. And so you do get the sense that even just talking to people, that they are a lot more engaged in the scene. You know, I've only been in Wellington for a few hours and people are already asking about, about the cricket, do we think the Black Caps are going to get back into it? And a lot of the local press, uh, um, you know, so what you read from the local papers is a bit like, you know, this is an opportunity to 
not quite set down the market, but, you know, stem the flow a bit because um, not just the loss of players, but also the way that he's been played feels a bit, feels, you know, New Zealand becoming that team that are letting cricket happen to them. Whereas before they used to, you know, there, there was a bit more fire. But even the previous New Zealand team before the one that um, went top of the world. So someone like Matt Henry is going to make a big difference. Uh, someone, you know, he's he's sharper than you think of the pitch. Um, moves it in. It would be really cha- real challenge for Brilliant's top order because, you know, Wagner, with all the, I mean, that balance barrage on day three was an utter, utter nonsense. I mean, it was funny, but it was a nonsense. <laughs> and he's got, bit, he's got a bit more guard about that, you know. I mean, just, just look at the hits he's, he's taken. He's, even with the no ball for Crawley, you know, that's that's the ball he should be bowling. And probably needs to bowl more than there is no trend ball there. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're in such a strange space. You know, even, there's even, I'm chatting, not, not anything kind of on or off the record, but, People are asking if Gary Stead's about and it helps because McCullum is in the other dressing room doing what he's doing. But it almost feels like they, they need a personality. They want a personality. Harvey wants someone to stand up and, and be that kind of ego player. And I think they have two players in Blundell and Michael Bracewell who are capable of doing that. But it perhaps asking a bit much of them, given how early they are in their life cycle. The fact that Tom Blundell, after that innings, was New Zealand's highest run scorer. Since the World Test Championship final, second place is Tom Latham, who is another person you kind of you you kind of want to see a little bit more from. You want to, you want him to take a bit of responsibility to to puff his chest out a bit more, and you know he's, he's not like that, and that's fine. So it needs to come from other places because it does feel a little bit like this New Zealand side are just going to balance and all because of how not least because of how the you know the future tours program looks. It's just. They're just going to exist after a period where they thrive. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's important to just put into context how great the New Zealand team that that, that has been was, and when I say has been, it's, you know, obviously, obviously they're still there. You know, Southie is still hanging on there. Uh, Williamson is still still a great player in, in a poor run of form. But you know, if you look back to the side that you know had Ross Taylor and Trent Bolt. Obviously, we, we we've alluded to him without really addressing the the full implications of his non-availability. But it it kind of harks back to uh, everything. Everything harks back to Brendan McCullum, frankly. But um, it harks back to the scenario that Brendan McCullum inherited with New Zealand when he took over as captain. Um, if you recall, the they they back then were a side that was bumbling along um, with. Out any purpose whatsoever. I mean, if you again, if you recall, the the, the Indian Indian uh, cricket league had, had cropped up. The the, the start of the T Twenty revolution had had really chewed away at the fabric of New Zealand cricket in particular, because for the same reasons that Trent Bolt is now not accepting a New Zealand contract, even back then in 2008, 9, 10, there was more money to be made for New Zealand cricketers in particular, and I don't limit it to just New Zealand. You know, West Indies. Sri Lanka, all these other nations that basically aren't the big three are all still having these same issues that they are not as attractive a proposition as a national team to these great players who could go and earn a coin uh, playing franchise cricket. And so you have to, once again, you have to just acknowledge how extraordinary that New Zealand team ethos was. It was built by McCullum. It was built by the original Basball, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I coined Basball in honour of the team that he produced the first time around. 
Um, and, you know, the the inheritance of the mindset that he created was taken on by Williamson, taken on to win the World Test Championship. You look at Wagner, as you know, perhaps it embodies the the spirit, the heart, the soul of that side, the guy who was willing to just do the dirty yards and make sure that the other more glamorous players got the best end of it. Now, suddenly he's been thrown the new ball because he's a senior player and he's completely unsuited to it and ends up being tonked for the second most expensive analysis of all time. It's a, it's a deeply, deeply disheartening way for his, his mighty career to end, as far as I'm concerned. He's 37. He's not going to come back from this, in my opinion. You know, he, he, he may, may not be necessarily finished, but he's, as a, as a threat... I don't think he's going to come again. Uh, and, you know, you, you do wonder where does New Zealand go after this tip, after this dip off? You know, the, 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 the extraordinary peaks that they have touched, thanks to the ethos that, that McCollum and Co. set in motion from 2013 onwards, uh, have taken them to extraordinary highs, taken them to World, World, World Test Championships, they've taken them to numerous World Cup finals, all the rest of it. Now we're into another dip. And again, you know, we look at what happened in... South Africa with their decision to, to bin off a lot of their international cricket to, to play the SA20. You look at what's happening in, in rugby at the moment. You've got the, the, the Welsh team are threatening to go on strike ahead of the Six Nations this weekend. I mean, it's a massive story. But again, it comes from that same issue that there are certain, in this in this era, there are haves and have-nots in world, in world sport. And in, in cricket in particular, the haves are India, Australia, England, fundamentally. And in rugby, the haves are England again, and and probably you know maybe maybe New Zealand have sold themselves to to private equity, but uh, you know there there there's not the same way of these these middle tier nations to to shore up their defences as as international sides in the way that there there would have been prior to the franchise revolution. So, uh, I again, it, in short, I would probably suck it up if I was New Zealand and think you know what it may be. That Trent Bolt hasn't accepted the contract, but frankly, he's still one of the best bowlers we've got. We should play him when he's available. If he's sitting 20 minutes up the road, he should be playing in this test match, regardless of whether it limits the opportunity for Scott Kugler to make a debut. I don't. I don't think there's any doubt that they 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 shot themselves in the foot by not picking him. Much as West Indies, you know, prior to the new regime coming in in the Caribbean, they were forever not picking their best players because they hadn't made themselves available for domestic cricket. Well, I'm sorry, that's not an option anymore. You've got to cut your cloth accordingly. Except that if you know, Kieran Pollard thinks that the IPL is a better better bet than playing in the Shell four-day championship, um, then so be it. He's still picking for a Test match because he's better than pretty much anyone else who's going to come through that way. Um, I think that's that's kind of where we're headed with international cricket. And again, uh, you know, it's probably the one downside of the baseball ethos. Um, it's almost the England are in a position uh, of such riches and such privilege to be able to play like this because no other team has got the confidence the security the job security frankly that comes of having having a solid team well paid well managed uh, good 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 opportunities if you if you you know stick stick to playing this you'll have the time of your life you play golf for for, for a fortnight of every tour and um, you'll probably win a lot of test matches um that's a privileged position that england are in um and it's making for great viewing uh, but can other teams emulate it? I'm not sure they can. And if they can't emulate it, then the next best thing is to suck it up and pick the best players if they are available and just accept that uh, there's a fragmentation going on here in world cricket, uh, world sport. And um, if you want to make sure that you're you're keeping up, um, you, you can't um, 
you can't be too proud to admit that um yeah sometimes some teams are just going to be better placed than you we're back to the uh existential doom loop that is uh you know only just most most weeks on the pod <laughs> i think at the moment um maybe new zealand just need a bit more time on the putting greens you know a bit more time on the, the driving range uh Poor Neil Wagner, though, was, uh, I mean, the indestructible Neil Wagner. It was like seeing a circus strongman being uh, set upon by the jugglers and fired out of a cannon. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, we uh, we we will be um, uh, we will be tuning in. Of course we will be we'll, through the night from here. Um, uh, Rish, uh, uh, you enjoy the uh, the coffee and the rain. Uh, Miller, before we sign off, I think uh, we, we, we haven't got time to get into it and, and we've been on a different time zone completely, but the... England women are are, are heading uh, for uh, um, well they're through to the semi-finals of the uh, the T20 World Cup. Uh, they have been showcasing their own new aggressive approach. Um, there's probably not too much to read in through their um, their their group games, although beating India is always uh, uh, reasonably significant. But um, uh, yeah, semi-final later this week, and then uh, expectation I guess of uh, coming up against the Australian acid test once again. Yes, indeed. I mean, I mean, the India the India performance the other day was was a remarkable effort, actually, and uh, it really it really underlined, I suppose, what England lacked in the summer when obviously they 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 screwed up in the in the in the Commonwealth Games and finished fourth uh, in in a, in a home tournament that really they they should have meddled in, and the reason they didn't was the, was the absence of of senior players. They 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 had this this brand new kids first ethos that was all very well but so if, when the kids when the kids failed they needed the the adults to to to, to shore them up and that's exactly what they got the other day with Siva Brunt and and, and uh, uh, he she 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 led the line fundamentally but um uh, you know they came they brought brought the rear and just made sure they got enough runs on the board to be able to defend it and uh, then did that did so with with vigor and um you know they 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 look in in a good position it was such an important match to win as well because it now all things in, being equal assuming they don't screw up against uh, Pakistan they will avoid um Australia in that semi-final which which means that you know India get get the short straw and um England would be very very grateful I think if India could do what frankly they're probably as as well placed as any side to do and lay a glove on Australia. If England can face India in the final, they will um, be um, much more grateful than if they have to face Australia. But again, they 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 are coming in with a with a lack of fear uh, this time around. That um, that that uh, I think is you know very much the ethos across English cricket uh, from top to bottom at the moment, including the under nineteen team. Every, every everyone seems to be buying into a bit of running towards the danger in this in this day and age. And um, you know, I think uh, fundamentally. Uh, you can't you can't fault it as as, as a tactic, and uh, given given the results that can be achieved with it. Saint Brendan be praised. Um, just don't mention uh, Basball in his company. Okay, <laughs> that's uh, enough for today. Especially since it's almost tomorrow for Vish. The Wellington Test starts on Friday or Thursday in the UK, with England looking to duff up the Black Caps for a second time. And then it's straight on to the next tour, an ODI series beginning in Bangladesh. Um, we'll be back to reflect on the madness of all that, as well as England's Women's World Cup fortunes uh, as well soon. Um, until then, my thanks to Miller Ambish and to you all for tuning in to the Scripture Podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. Listener.